Hello and welcome to the National Secular Society podcast. I'm Alistair Lichton, Head of Education at the NSS. Today's episode is part six in a series of interviews where I speak with activists and experts about religious freedom and what it means to them. What does religious freedom truly mean? While some religious lobbyists use the term to demand privileges, this series will serve to highlight that true religious freedom means freedom of belief for people of all religions and none. This is leading up to our major conference, Secularism 2019. If this conversation whets your appetite, then I hope you'll join us at the Tower Hotel in London on the 18th of May. Details are at the end of the show. Today I spoke with Rudolf Elliot Lockhart, or Rudy, CEO of the Religious Education Council of England and Wales. Our focus was on how RE can improve understanding of freedom of and from religion, so we didn't get too deep into other RE issues. Perhaps another time. Hopefully you'll find the conversation as interesting as I did, and I'll be back at the end with a few thoughts. Enjoy. Rudy, welcome to the NSS podcast. Uh, Thanks, it's great to be with you. That's great to have you here. Do you want to start by introducing yourself to the audience and telling them what you do? Uh, Yeah, of course. Uh, So I am the Chief Executive of the Religious Education Council of England and Wales. Um, uh, We are an education organisation who's interested in raising the standard of religious education uh, in uh, schools uh, across England and Wales. Uh, We've got, um, we're a membership organisation, and so we've got about 63 members at the moment. Um, They're all organisations themselves. Most of them are religion and belief organisations, um, and within that, uh, we're very inclusive. So it's everyone from Anglicans to Zoroastrians and everyone in between. Uh, we're inclusive of non-religious groups. Uh, so Humanist UK have been in membership um, since the year we were founded um, 46 years ago. We've also got members who are organisations of professionals working in RE. So teachers, university lecturers, inspectors, advisors, those sorts of things. So it's a really varied membership, um, but uh, and based on all sorts of things that they fundamentally disagree on. Um, but the one thing they do all agree on is that RE is really important um, and they come together through us to try and raise that standard uh, across all the schools in the country. There's a lot going on in the world of RE reform at the moment, but today we're talking about freedom of and from religion. Uh, so what does religious freedom mean to you? Um, I think uh, religious freedom means that everyone should have the right to identify with the religion that they choose uh, to practice that religion um, and to hold whatever beliefs uh, come along with that. Uh, but I think that there are some important qualifications to this. Um, so when we talk about religious freedom, uh, I want religion to be understood in its broadest sense. Um, so if you look at uh, Article 9 of the European Convention on Human Rights, um, uh, it tries to set out the beliefs beyond religion uh, that should be protected under equality and human rights law. Um, so obviously I'm really keen that non-religious beliefs uh, should also be protected under freedom of religion. Um, and Article 9 talks about then how you've got to define um, those those beliefs. So they say that they've got to be genuinely held, they've got to have a certain level of cogency, of seriousness, cohesion and importance. Um, and they've got to be beliefs rather than, than just opinions uh, and compatible with human dignity uh, and worthy of respect in a democratic society. So I want religious freedom um, to protect those sorts of uh, non-religious worldviews as well. Uh, and that's convenient because that's what the law in this country tries to do. So that's, that's good. Um, but the other qualification um, 
that I think is vital uh, to remember uh, is about the limits of religious freedom. Um, so while um, uh, religious freedom means that I've got the right to practice my religion, um, uh, I don't think that that means that I have the right to impose it on other people. Um, and also, you know, uh, our religious freedom is is potentially limited by a larger framework of rights and responsibilities that we we agree on in our society. So again, my, my religious freedom might be limited by um, the need to ensure the safety of other people um, or public order, um, as well as the rights and, and freedoms of, of other people. So how does or, or indeed should good religious education promote religious freedom? Um I think, well, I think there's lots of ways. Um, I'll give you two. Um, so first, uh, RE is a subject where people can explore how questions of freedom of religion work in practice. Um, so an RE teacher might choose to do a lesson that uses, I don't know, say the, um, the so-called gay cake case uh, as a start point for a uh, an exploration of these ideas. So um, this was the case of the bakery run by Christians who didn't want to make a cake that was going to have a slogan iced on it um, in support of same-sex marriage. Um, so people might want to explore uh, why it is that the bakers took the position that they did, um, what that tells you about the baker's religion, um, why some other Christians disagreed with the bakers, uh, and what that tells you about diversity of, of belief within a religion. Um, you can also explore the customers' freedoms um, and the disagreement you get over this cake uh, as the result of the competing uh, beliefs. Um, and then finally, why it is that in our pluralist society we resolve these issues in the way that we do. So you can do quite a practical exploration of um, freedom of belief like this. And that, that I think, is an important part of, of what RE can offer here. Um, but I think there's... There's a broader way that RE can help promote um, uh, religious freedom. I think that a key part of RE is an exploration of the other. Um, so in RE, you end up learning about uh, religious or non-religious worldviews that are different uh, from your own. Um, and you get to understand, well, at least I hope you get to understand, um, how it's possible for your neighbour to live in the same society as you um, and yet to have potentially a very different religious identity and beliefs from you. Uh, and for that to be absolutely fine, um, that having a different religion is you know, normal. Um, so it needn't stop you from having just as good ethical code, being just as invested in building a strong shared society and being just as good a, a friend uh, and a neighbour. Um, and it should help you, therefore, to understand why they might live their life in a different way from you. Um, now, I think that the uh, empathy across religious difference that RE can therefore help inculcate is potentially a vital part of fostering a commitment to freedom of religion. So I think that sort of bigger uh, reason um, uh, is, is really vital. Oh, thank you for that. Uh, how can teachers best bring these real life examples into the classroom when I think no matter what your position on religious freedom you'd have to say that the media do a very bad job of covering cases like this. 
Yeah, well, I, I, well, I agree with you on that. Um, I think that's one of the reasons why having um, good RE is so important. And um, you need that space uh, to be able to um, develop real critical thinking about religion and belief um, and to contest the sort of media narratives that you get. And, um, you know, the, the media, and, and it's not just the media, it's wider society as, as well, um, uh, is very prone to um, simplifying uh uh, religion um, and um, turning it into a sort of cartoon caricature um, uh, and uh, RE's got that opportunity to show its complexity, its fuzzy edges, um, its diversity um, and uh, peoples can have the opportunity to really develop as, as you know, skilled intercultural navigators that will help them understand um, all of these issues much better, um, which, you know, I think it's vital if you're then going to get to the the questions about um, freedom of of um, uh, religion and belief. If you haven't got the the basic uh, foundations of understanding, you really can't navigate those sorts of questions effectively. Mm. Which religious freedom issues do you think students are most interested in then? <laughs> um, I think it really depends on the pupils. Um, you know, it depends on on the classroom. Um, well, as you know, uh, some, uh, some of our schools have got religious characters, um, and in some cases, they're going to select pupils on the basis of religion. We noticed. And in addition, um, different, <laughs> well, of course, um, different religious communities um, are concentrated in different parts of the country. Um, so if you take those two things together, it's really not a surprise that the demographics of religious identity can vary dramatically from school to school. Um, and I think sometimes the issues of religious freedom that are going to interest people the most are going to be those um, that have most relevance to them and which they see playing out in their local community. Um, so, for example, uh, if you take the recent debate over male circumcision um, after legislators in, I think it was Iceland, um, debated whether it should be prohibited, um, and there, there was then pushback over how much the right to circumcise should be protected as part of religious freedom or, or not. Um, now, I'm speculating here, um, but I think that you would um, probably find that schools with a large number of um, Jewish and, and uh, Muslim pupils might be more interested in this particular issue um, than schools that didn't have that sort of um, demographic. Um, but I think that in general, um, issues relating to freedom of religion really do fire up the interest um, of a lot of peoples. Um, you know, I, th I think freedom of, of religion is one of those things that most people instinctively think is sounds like a good thing. Um, and people get a bit nervous about the idea of anyone trying to deny them freedom of religion. But the moment you start looking at what it means in practice, um, it can get really difficult, um, you know, really, really contentious. Um, and I think that most peoples um, find that both interesting uh, and important. And then just sort of to go one step further, um, I think it gets really interesting um, when religious freedom gets turned into a vehicle for, um, well, well, frankly, the opposite of, of, of religious freedom. Um, so you can see cases in America um, where the language of um, freedom of religion or, or religious liberty um, gets used by some groups uh, as a means for asserting the rights of certain types of Christians to impose their beliefs and values on others. Um, so here I'm thinking of cases like, um, you know, the employer that used um, a religious freedom argument successfully at the Supreme Court um, to secure 
secure the right to limit um, the health insurance offered to employees um, so that it, it can actively exclude access to um, the contraceptive pill. So I think it's really fascinating, um, if rather scary, um, to see how religious freedom um, can effectively become code for something very, very different. Um, and I think that can really you know, fire the imagination of, of people in the classroom too. May it be that, uh, and this this is equally speculating, that it might be easier for pupils to explore examples of uh, genuine and distorted religious freedom that they have less of the personal connection to. So looking at issues from abroad or from the past rather than, you know, what's you know on BBC News today. Possibly. I, I think it can cut both ways. Um, so... Uh, there's a risk that if you're talking about things that the peoples really don't have a connection to, um, uh, it can make it easier to um, take quite a sort of um, hard line uh, view. You, you're maybe less likely to be a bit, bit more nuanced about it. Um, uh, so in the way that you sometimes see um, attitudes towards um uh, I think I've got this right. So uh, polling on on things like attitudes towards um, uh, Muslims wearing headscarves, um, sometimes you find um, uh, much more um, uh, opposition um, or much more um, higher levels of people being uncomfortable in areas where there's actually really very few uh, Muslims in, in the local community. So it's the sort of, um, if you don't have that personal connection, you can, you can, you know, conjure up some uh, extreme view in your in your head. Um, so I don't know whether it's always the case that um, by getting away from stuff that's um, personal and recognisable, um, it becomes easier. Um, you know, in some ways it might make it uh, harder. Um, so I think I, I think it can go either way. Yeah, I imagine it probably a, a bit of both. And I guess when we're whenever we're considering social issues it can be useful to look at the real social issue and then or, and then you know change the nouns and see how people react see it and see how students and, and reflect ourselves how we react differently yeah so it's an opportunity to um uh to reflect that back on yourself um so you, you rather than just always talking about the other um it, it's encouraging you to empathize to put yourself in their their shoes and and see how how things change when you do that mm. if you were designing a course for pupils to explore freedom of and from religion from scratch and designing it from scratch uh what would be your starting points right um well i think big question yeah um uh, interesting one um I think discussing freedom of uh, and from uh, religions, one of those things that becomes an awful lot easier if you've got a really solid foundation in how a range of different religious and non-religious worldviews operate. Um, I think you need to be able to really get to grips with what it is um, that matters to different people with different worldviews um, before you can really make sense of quite how difficult some of the clashes of competing rights can be. Um, so first things first, uh, I think you need to learn about the religions themselves. Secondly, I think you've got to make sure that you are hearing from a range of people about what freedom of religion means to them. Um, it's only when you can grasp the complexities of how religions are actually lived 
by the people who adhere to them, um, that you can really see how the tensions of freedom of religion play out. Um, and when I say this, I don't just mean that um, I want to see token representation, you know, one person from each of the so-called big six uh, religions. You know, um, not all Christians take the same approach to things, uh, neither do all atheists, uh, neither do all Muslims, uh, and so on. Um, uh, if you want to avoid seeing... Um, uh, seeing freedom of religion as a purely sort of legal issue, you've got to you've got to actually um, talk to people about the reality uh, in their lives. Um, so you need those um, those messy case studies uh, of of what it is to them personally, and and the um, the just uh, the sheer range uh, of, of of examples. Um, so I'd want to root it really heavily in in um, in lived religion. Um, but I think you clearly would also need to to do that exploration of um, uh, of the legalities of it, um, of questions of of rights um, that go much beyond questions just about um, religion and belief. Uh, you know, they're, they're uh, wider um, wider issues of of citizenship, of of um, uh, how social society should work. So you'd have to have that framing as well. I guess if it was easy, we could just give students a post-it note with the text of Article 9 written on it. Well, it wouldn't be a bad start. You know, uh, uh, I'd like people to, to really understand that. And I'm, I'm not sure that um, I'm not sure that people always do. Um, uh, I think it's one of the I mean, sorry to go off topic, but uh, one of the slightly um, distressing things, uh, one of the many distressing things um, about um, uh, debates following the um, EU referendum um, is how poorly people understand um, uh, something like uh, the European Convention on Human Rights and where that fits with um, uh, with our, our law. I'm, I'm quite um, I'm quite scared by that, particularly when it's when it's people in the government who uh, um, uh, seem to have some of these misunderstandings. Um, but um, apologies, I stray from from the issue at hand. You've not seen our exploring sectors and resources yet, so we won't, we won't dock you any points for not just saying. NSS, your resources have got it absolutely perfectly right. <laughs> Do you think religious education is the best subject to explore these issues? Or does it need to be linked with a wider sort of hum wider humanities, uh, citizenship, politics um, curriculum? I think uh, RE is obviously one of the subjects where these issues come up. Uh, and can come up a lot. Um, and RE can certainly contribute a huge amount here. Um, other subjects just don't have um, the same amount of time to go through, um, you know, thorough exploration of different um, religious and non-religious worldviews and the way that they interact with, you know, the law and civil society. Um, so RE's got a really crucial role to play. Um, but uh, I wouldn't want to claim that RE is the only place um, where you can or should uh, discuss freedom of religion. Um, now, obviously, it's not my place to speak for the rest of the curriculum, uh, but it's not going to stop me. Um, uh, I can certainly see a place for um, other subjects here. So, history is one really obvious place. Um, plenty of opportunities to explore religious conflict uh, and religious freedom uh, in history. Um, 
English offers great opportunities. So uh, literature can be a fabulous way of exploring freedom of religion, depending on, on whatever set text you're using. Um, I would imagine that aspects of human geography uh, might be really useful here um, and sociology as well. Um, so, yeah, there are there are lots of places where this can also be, be discussed. Um, but I, you know, I don't think this should be much of a surprise. Um, tolerance, respect and individual liberty uh, are all part of fundamental British values. Um, uh, and that's got to be seen as a whole school matter. Um, so uh, it would be really weird um, if we thought that um, uh, engaging with freedom of religion was uh, exclusively um, uh, the um, job of RE. Um, uh, I think I think it'd be a real problem um, in a school if that was the attitude that they they took. Um, obviously, none of this is to downplay the wonderful contribution that RE can make, um, uh, but it's RE is an element within wider education it's it's um you know it relates to the rest of the curriculum it doesn't uh you know take over the whole curriculum really you've spoken about the importance of understanding different people's religious perspectives when it comes to the clash of rights and although i want to push back on push that back on that a little bit while still acknowledging the importance of the point there is um, among some religious people who view religious freedom as you know being about their ability to impose religion of when they're disagreed with it's because people don't understand their religion and this is sort of i guess a distorted view of religious literacy uh so you know if you understood my religion better you'd understand why i need this exemption uh if if you had more religious literacy you'd understand why i wanted to discriminate in this case uh yes um I, well, I, I, I think I want, I want to be clear here. Um, I'm not suggesting um, that uh, uh, you should learn more about other religions um, because with that increased understanding, um, it uh, explains why that particular religion should be given a free pass on whatever the issue might be. Um, uh, if we're talking about what rights and responsibilities we have in our pluralist society, um, uh, there are you know, laws of the land that we're all subject to um, and that we've got a democratic process by which we can address those. Um, uh, and um, I, I, I'm very happy with that, um, with, with that system we have. What I mean is that um, if you don't have the proper grounding in um, uh, where the other person is coming from, it's really hard to empathise with them. It's really hard to uh, understand why um, why it is they've got the view that they have. So you're much more likely to just um, want to dismiss them as um, uh, just wrong uh, or not understanding uh, not understanding the issue and, and having some reprehensible views, perhaps. Um, if if you really get to grips with why it is they're coming from the place that they are, um, it, it makes it a lot easier to engage with. It means you can have a, a civil, sensible conversation about stuff. Um, now, I'm not saying that that means that um, uh, you then necessarily say, well, um, there's a, a, a sort of um, a religion card that means that um, everything else can be bypassed. And uh, with all rights and responsibilities, there's a there's a constant negotiation going on in our society, and and that's 
that's how it works. I, I guess you could have a very detailed understanding of the diverse religious views on LGBT equality, uh, to use the example, which always comes up, and you can have a great and well-developed sense of empathy for people with different experiences and still just say, well, yeah, but the law, you know, this anti-discrimination law is the law. And <laughs> you, you, you can understand someone's position and dis and disagree with them. But I think there is often, uh, religious literacy, just, just as religious freedom is often used as a code word for something, which I, I don't think is religious freedom. Religious literacy is often used as a code word for agreeing with or acquiescing to. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, I'm very clear in, in my view, uh, that, um, uh, we've got protected characteristics, um, uh, in our, um, equalities legislation. Um, and, uh, that means that the, uh, the rights of, uh, LGBT, uh, people are protected there as they should be. Um, and uh, the fact that there might be or that there are um, uh, people who um, uh, might take a different view of that on the basis of uh, their religion, um, it, well, they're, they're entitled to have their view, but it, they're not entitled to ignore what the law of the land uh, is. Um, uh, so I'm, I'm not saying in any way understand about religions um, so that uh, you can somehow ignore what the law is. That that's that's not what I'm saying at all. Uh, I'm saying understand the religions so that you uh, realise why things are contentious in the way that they are, um, uh, why there is uh, uh, anxiety about whatever the issue that, that you're considering is. Um, I'm, I'm not saying that that uh, in the liberal pluralist society we should uh, necessarily give up any of these carefully won uh, uh, rights uh, that we have. That's a, a really good way of putting it. Uh, one uh, potentially contentious uh, religious freedom or religious freedom adjacent issue within the world of RE is uh, the right to withdraw from religious education. Sure. Um, so uh, there's been a, um, a right for parents to withdraw their children from religious education for almost 150 years now. Um, and it's, um, uh, it's a function of the history of the subject, which um, used to be religious instruction. Um, uh, and uh, so this right of, of withdrawal for parents, um, or for parents to withdraw their children, was very much um, uh, intended to safeguard the um, religious freedom uh, of, of those children. Um, so if you were at a school where the religious instruction was not uh, in accordance with um, uh, the religious identity that you had, um, you would be able to um, be withdrawn from those classes. Um, now, the subject has changed an awful lot over the years. Um, uh, and um, uh, I would hope um, that RE is um, something that every uh, child in the country would um, benefit from. Um, but uh, that right of withdrawal is still there. Now, um, it's now tied up in, in the European legislation. Um, the key issue being that um, parents still have the right um, uh, for their children to be educated according to um, uh, their own uh, philosophical tenets. Um, so 
parents still have that right of withdrawal um, and it would be necessary to show that the subject is um, objective, critical and pluralistic um, uh, for uh, pupils to be um, no longer having the right of withdrawal from the subject. Um, now, that's a really difficult thing to guarantee in legal terms. Um, Obviously, I want to try and make sure that the curriculum is objective, critical and pluralistic. I mean, who wouldn't want that? That's a really sensible education um, uh, thing to be trying to pursue. Um, but um, uh, in legal terms, very hard to, to guarantee. Um, we've still got some schools where um, individual teachers um, might be appointed because of their uh, religious position, particularly if they're heads of, of departments in those schools. Um, so you could easily say, well, um, the delivery of uh, the subject, therefore, might not be objective, critical and pluralistic. Um, uh, we've got schools where religious authorities have a role in um, setting the curriculum. Um, now, those authorities will um, uh, uh, be striving to try and provide an education which they would argue is objective, critical and pluralistic. Um, but uh, I think it's quite likely that the courts um, would um, find it harder uh, to go along with that, that line if there was uh, some sort of test case, um, should the right of withdrawal be taken away. Um, uh, now, the really frustrating thing here is that there are increasing numbers of people who are using the right of withdrawal for um, ways that the law was not intended originally. So some people are using it for Islamophobic and anti-Semitic reasons. And we've seen examples of template letters um, uh, produced by some far-right organisations encouraging parents to withdraw their children, saying, you know, I don't want um, uh, my child to go to the mosque or I don't want my child to learn about Islam. Um, and parents have that right uh, to withdraw their child and they don't actually have to justify why they're doing it. Um, so this is, this is really difficult. Um, those children who are being withdrawn for what look like Islamophobic reasons are exactly the sorts of children who I think would benefit the most from good RE. Um, but we've got this problem um, that uh, for very sensible human rights reasons, um, parents are are entitled uh, to withdraw um, their children, should they choose so. Um, now, there's a lot of people in the world of RE, I'd say the vast majority of people in the world of RE, who want to get rid of that right of withdrawal. Um, they say, you know, the subject's moved on, it's it's time to, to get rid of it. Um, and the recent commission on uh, religious education um, made a recommendation here and i think some people were rather disappointed to see that the recommendation was um, not to get rid of the right of withdrawal um, now the commission did this um, because i think it recognized that the legal problems were just too difficult to get around um, and i'm i'm inclined to agree with the commission on this one so i think what we need um, is uh, better guidance for head teachers on how to deal with um, uh, parents making what look like Islamophobic requests. And there's, there's good guidance that's just come out from um, NAHT, National Association of Head Teachers, and NATRAE, the National Association of Teachers of RE. Um, but I think the government needs to do more here. Um, I think the government needs to make sure that heads understand exactly what uh, they can and can't do, um, and what options they have under things like prevent um, uh, to flag up uh, issues of concern. Um, and for the focus to be on dealing with um, uh, 
prejudicial behavior, you know, Islamophobic behavior or anti-Semitic behavior, rather than getting tangled up in what I think will be a fruitless legal argument um, uh, over whether parents should have that right of withdrawal or not. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it, it's one of the things that shows that religious freedom it, it does lead to sort of messy compromises and enshrining if you enshrine a right very similar to the right to freedom of speech you're going to get people who use that right in an antisocial uh you know way or a way that we that might itself be harmful to a civil pluralistic society uh i think there's definitely a difference in the religious freedom balances between you know a school where re is being genuinely taught in a pluralistic uh the word objective i know we can never nothing can ever be truly objective but <laughs> aiming to aiming towards being non-directive uh way versus you know the way in which religion is taught still taught in many in many schools i guess also a lot of people exercising the right to, uh, to withdraw from re because you know for lots of reasons the subject is not always at the level that it is in the in the best examples or in the, the examples that we'd like to see more of yeah I, I think there's widespread misunderstanding um uh about what the subject religious education actually is um i think there's there's a lot of people whose um uh instant reaction on hearing or even just hearing his name um is to think that it's somehow about um making children um religious um uh, and I'm really keen to try and um, show that that's not the case and to try and, and break that down. Um, uh, I want people to realise that the subject is totally embracing um, the study of uh, non-religious worldviews alongside religious ones. And indeed to show that you know, it's not as simple as splitting into religious and non-religious. There's, there's a huge, messy overlap between the two. Um, you know, people are complicated. They they borrow, um, if they're, if they're non-religious, they borrow a whole lot of religious ideas a lot of the time. Uh, and if they're religious, there's a whole lot of non-religious stuff that they also um, uh, draw from. Um, uh, I want to show that it's um, it's a subject that really encourages critical engagement. Um, uh, so uh, it's not about making someone more religious. It's not about making someone less religious, even though for some pupils, it'll do that uh, either way. Uh, and that's that's fine. Um, uh, so I think one of the things we can do is we can we can talk about uh, a proposed uh, change of name for the subject. And again, the Commission on Religious Education did recommend a new name um, because I think religious education as a name is is freighted with an awful lot of um, assumptions. So the Commission talked about renaming the subject as religion and worldviews. Um, so religion singular to illustrate um, uh, that it's a subject that engages with the concept of religion um, uh, and gets people to think about, you know, what religion actually is, how it operates, you know, what the boundary between religion and non-religion actually is. Um, and uh, worldviews, plural, second part of the, the name, uh, because that shows the, the scope of things that could be um, studied within the subject. Um, and I think, I think that would be a, a really helpful way of talking about the subject and might make it easier for for, for the wider public to understand what it is uh, that we're hoping that children do in these lessons. Yeah, uh, we will link to the Commission on RE report in the show notes. I'll just say, uh, 
it's such a it's a, such a big subject that we, we uh, hopefully maybe we'll get into it on another occasion. Uh, audience can find the National Secular Society's view on RE and our view on the right to a draw, which I would say you know I think is quite nuanced and uh, does you know take on board a lot of the stuff you said there at uh, reformre.org. Rudy, it's been great chatting to you today. Uh, before you go, we always like to ask our guests if they have any recommendations uh, for books or films which they think do a good job of exploring religious freedom. Um, oh, uh, so, well, there's loads of films that that make an interesting entry point um, to the subject, um, but I think it's often the nature of of, uh, of films that they're they're often there are going to be polemics in favour of a particular position. Um, so I don't know how nuanced um, some of the things I could suggest would necessarily be. Um, I'm, I'm tempted um, to be um, uh, uh, difficult or, or whatever uh, and um, suggest um, D.W. Griffith's uh, epic intolerance um, uh, back from 1916. Um which basically says that intolerance, including religious intolerance, is bad. Um, although, of course, uh, if you're being a cynic, um, you might say that what it's really about is him atoning for having um, made his earlier blockbuster, the pro-KKK film Birth of a Nation, um, which is a little bit of a smear on on, on his record. Um, there, but, I mean, you know, I could go on for ages. There are loads of other interesting films. Um, if you let me say there's, there's a couple of recent documentaries um uh that um uh, might make interesting viewing um uh about uh what's happening in america um so a couple of years ago um or, or less uh there was um the most hated woman in america um uh about um madeline murray o'hare um who was the the atheist activist um who was uh, kidnapped and murdered um, in the 1990s. Um, so that's that's quite an interesting um, uh, uh, one to try. Um, and there's one I haven't haven't actually seen this one yet, um, but I really want to. Uh, and I think um, your listeners might be intrigued um, uh, from the sound of it. Um, it's called Hail Satan, um, uh, and it's a documentary about the Satanic Temple um, in the US, um, which. If I understand it correctly, um, is a group um, that uh, I don't know whether they really are Satanists. I think they probably pose as Satanists in order to um, uh, um, uh, pose some really interesting. Legal so they're, allegor they're, they're allegorical Satanists. Yes, yes. So there, there are some really interesting legal questions um, uh, about religious liberty um, uh, and showing some of the. Um, uh, I, I think hypocrisy um of the way in which religious liberty is sometimes interpreted in the us um and the reaction uh from that um and uh from the sounds of things um that that documentary sounds really good but um as i said i haven't actually seen it uh so um i can't i can't be held responsible if anyone does go off and see it and um uh it isn't their cup of tea oh well we'll have links in the show notes is there anything else you'd like to plug before you go well, I, I've, I've mentioned the Commission on Religious Education, um, but I think um, it's worth mentioning again, you know, this um, it, 
the final report came out last September. It is uh, arguably the most important publication in the world of religious education for 50 years. Um, it's uh, promoting um, or recommending a, a radical programme of reform of the subjects, um, uh, which um, has had a lot of support um, from a wide range of different uh, organisations. So National Secular Society has been uh, pretty positive about it, but um, so has the Church of England. Um, and I think if you can get responses from those sorts of uh, uh, groups um, all being positive, that's got to be quite a good thing. Um, so I would recommend uh, checking that out. Okay, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. There are some great recommendations from Rudy. We'll have links in the show notes. And remember that you can find our range of book and film reviews at secularism.org.uk forward slash reviews. I do just want to say something about the film America's Most Hated Woman. I have been told that the film advances the theory that Madeline Mary O'Hare was embezzling from American atheists. I haven't seen the film and I'm not familiar with the full history, but as I understand it, that has been debunked. To be clear, this smear is victim blaming. It is a common trope to undermine human rights activists by accusing them of being in it for the money. And it's particularly hurtful for some because in a very real way, this smear led to Madeline's abduction and death. Spoiler warning. I'm still looking forward to watching the film at some point, and I still thank Rudy for the recommendation. I just wanted to note that. Before I go, I want to give Secularism 2019 a plug. This is our upcoming major conference that this series of interviews is leading up to. It's on Saturday, 18th of May, 2019, and all the details are on our website. If you're thinking about coming along but are undecided, please let me give you a quick pitch for why you should come. Firstly, the value for money is fantastic. It's a full day conference in a stellar venue with an internationally esteemed lineup of speakers, refreshments, awards ceremony and drinks reception. Student tickets are just £10, NSS members £25, even the full price non-member tickets are a steal at £50. It's been almost three years since we did an event of this scale. You don't want to miss out on being in the room with this group of activists and experts. The opportunity to draw inspiration and make connections. Just visit secularism.org.uk for SS2019. That's 2019 for all the details. If you have any feedback on the podcast, please get in touch. You can support the podcast by sharing it on social media or joining the National Secular Society today. Until next time, I've been Alice Lichton thanking you for joining me. Goodbye. <laughs>